we had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15%. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way. And I, 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 I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 171 weeks into two weeks to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Emerson alongside Bruce Adams and from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, our usual guest on every other Odd Tuesday, Melissa. Melissa, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Very good. Got... I'm glad glad to see you back. Glad to be back. Thanks. I understand you're um, trying not to burn to death down there in the, in the deep south. That's right. It's very, very hot here, um, about... 39, 40 degrees Celsius, 100, 203 Fahrenheit. It's hot. <laughs> it is a little warm, I'd say so. Yeah. Bruce, how are you today? I'm healthy and alive uh, and not roasting nearly as bad. So That's good. As long as you have that, uh, that lovely air conditioner, you should be fine. Agreed. Yeah. That's a must-have down there. You can't go without it. It's been a couple of weeks. What has been front and center for you, Melissa? What would you like to talk about? We'll start with you. What, what do you have? What's been on your mind? Well, what's been on my mind was a little bit of what I was speaking with the with both of you about before we just started to record. The monitors? Little, yeah, it, it drives me crazy. Technical yeah. stuff. Hard, <laughs> yeah. hard drives, monitors, um, sound editing. Just to, yeah, I learn as I go. So I, I was pumping you both for information that was uh, useful. Thank you. Uh, well, you otherwise, what, one of the things that has been on my mind lately is censorship. And, Ooh, good topic. Uh, good topic. Yeah. Uh, um, I've personally experienced a bit of it recently. Yeah, we're real sorry sure. about that. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're real sorry it's... about that. We feel like we're <laughs> responsible for that. No, you're not. Well, a little bit. A little bit. Actually, you were my first strike on the YouTube channel. <laughs> so. Yeah, awful sorry about that. I, but then again, you know, uh, YouTube, I have, I have no sympathy for them. I, I just mm -hmm. don't. Well, I think that they I think that the push right now is to get everyone over into Elon Musk land. So I, I think he's advertised the idea that people should think of Twitter as the new YouTube and longer form videos and all of that. So I think we're being herded into the next sheep pen. But it's amazing. I, I mean, what I experienced last week was so intense that it made me feel it gave me a real awareness of life in East Germany, where they had to smuggle in a typewriter. So because the typewriter would be associated with the person that owned it, they'd know each keystroke. 
And so if people wanted to put out any kind of dissident or counter idea, they had to do so very, very carefully. And I think we're kind of at that point in terms of real information. You can prattle on all day long about rubbish. And, and what's interesting to me is who is allowed to say things that might be considered inflammatory, um, because there's plenty of that. I'm sure that you two have experienced this where you'll say something, you immediately get banned or struck or censured, but somebody else you notice is saying the exact same thing and they're allowed to go on. So you, we're some not authorized. People, yeah, some people get through the uh, the gates, if you will. And that right there to me, and I, I have really nothing to back this up with other than my own observation, that to me shows that that person is more than likely controlled opposition because I, I they go have to that permission. place too. Yeah, they have they have permission to say that kind of thing. And, I, you know, when when I see these these uh, YouTubers, you know, video podcasts, YouTubers, whatever, you know, these these streamers, whatever they are, when I see them and they come out and they're on the supposed conservative side, all of the sudden it's as if no one's ever heard of them. And they're all over everybody's suggestions and they're rocketed to the top and they've got book deals uh, and everything else. And they're allowed to discuss these things. But when us, the, the Joe Blow nobodies, when we discuss something on, say, like uh, Spotify or Apple or something or, or even YouTube, we get labeled as misinformation, disinformation, and we get struck or shut down or mm -hmm. labeled or flagged or, or whatever. And people get redirects over to, quote, legitimate sources. And that's it. Yeah. So, yeah, that to me is is a, is a mark of, of controlled opposition. And I, I've seen that before. I'm like, who are these these big podcasters that just appear out of nowhere that nobody's ever heard of? I, I don't get that. And nobody seems to to even question that. They just flock to them. Yeah. No, they, they, I mean, the what happened since I know that I won't be posting this up on YouTube, what happened is that on the uh, a week ago or a week and a half ago, I posted a redux talk of Alan Watts from 2007, and it was entitled Meet Your New Spouse, Rutting with Robots, Clankers for Wankers. And so what he was talking about is how a few things he touched on, how the Pentagon dictates Hollywood storylines, how we are given ideas in predictive programming. Uh, that we then that become normalized, and so when they actually happen, we don't think twice about them. And he, specifically, he was talking about an academic paper that was published by a professor at the University of Maastricht, and it was talking about sex with artificial intelligence, basically sex with a robot, and how this would be normal someday, and that was a good thing. So Alan read a couple of articles. He read a bit from that uh, academic paper. I put the talk up and then I added, I looked around to see how this might still be promoted in the mainstream. And I found a recent article from Men's Health Magazine, very mainstream publication. I found another recent article from The Guardian, another very, very mainstream publication out of the UK. And then I put the University of Maastricht paper back up. And it sat on YouTube for four days, got some nice views. And when I went to upload something else, I had a strike on the channel for nudity and sexuality. And the subnote said that I was promoting pornography. Now, I just 
lost it. <laughs> they, they give you 800 words to protest. And I used all 800 very carefully. And what I said is, there is nothing in this audio that is anything other than a condemnation of the promotion of deviant sexuality by mainstream. And the articles, because they said it was my links, it wasn't the audio itself, it was the links I posted. And I said, these links come from a from mainstream publications that only support the idea that was coming that was being put across in the audio. And I said, YouTube officially sponsors and advertises Game of Thrones, Fifty Shades of Grey, you know, the, the, the mainstream promotion of deviant sexuality. I said, this is, this is a double standard. This is hypocrisy and it's very unfair. Well, that was my 800 words. And uh, the next day I went back on the channel and the strike was gone and the video was back up. There was no explanation. No, okay, we reviewed what you said and we're putting it back up. So what I did is I, I thought, well, there there it is. That's as close to an apology from a faceless entity as I'll ever get. I removed the so-called offending links. But now I just, you know, I, I'm going to come up with some other backup channels, maybe a backup YouTube, other places that I'm looking at for putting things across because my purpose is simply to bring people's attention to the work of Alan Watt. I can understand that. And to be fair, um, I, I don't, I don't see the reason for taking it down. The reason I don't see the reason for taking it down is because all of the stuff that you posted, it sounds to me, is exactly what's being advertised in all of the papers, mm -hmm. as in this whole concept. So let's go back to the, the beginning concept, this uh, sex with AI. They've been trying to sell these sex robots. Yes. That's supposedly this big emerging industry. And what do you think it's going to be based on? It's going to be based on that. They're going to be programmed with those algorithms. Right. And so where's the problem with what you posted? Now, if well, if another the company... problem is I'm not an authorized voice oh. and Alan Watt oh. was not an authorized voice. No, he never was. No, he, he never. <laughs> he never was. He was always uh, against the grain, uh, if you will. And, you know, way, way off of the um, uh, the reservation, if you will. Yes, I caught some flack for that one earlier in the week, but we'll address that one tomorrow. <laughs> but no, I, the, the stuff that you posted, I don't see any problem with that, with that at all. And again, you know, it goes back to the, uh, the, to the question, who is the authorized voice and why are they able to continue that way? You know, I, I, I personally, I don't like the fact that you have these voices that come along and then they steer people away and they influence people away from the actual agendas that take place. Yes. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, how can people follow this? I mean, I, I guess they're placating on people's hopes, I guess, of, of looking for that one voice that's going to just tell them exactly what they want to hear and tell them exactly how things are going to be fixed and this is how it's going to be and so on and so forth, when they never actually address any real problem and they never give you any solution, which winds up in reality, always back with you, the individual. They never tell people that. And so what's the point? What's the point? I don't see why people follow them. I don't. I don't see why they even get an audience. I don't know where they come from. Well, I think you may have hit the nail on the head there when you said, you know, the solution, it, it you know, the real solution winds back up on you. And what are you going to do about it? 
And it seems to be that human nature, that's the last place that people want to go. If there's a Clint Eastwood, if there's somebody on a white horse that's coming to the rescue, if someone is going to fix this, and then then that's who they want to listen to, the person who's promoting that, whether it is a so-called political solution or, you know, what whatever it is, as long as it isn't them and wrestling with their own conscience and their own choices and the what they can do themselves to make a difference. This is um, that whole concept of um, complacency. That's something that I rail against regularly on here about uh, uh, with with Christian conservatives um, specifically being a Christian and a quote unquote conservative. I feel it's my place to, to grind their nose in uh, what they've uh, achieved over the years. And because of the complacency of that group specifically, um, when you look at their morals and their um, worldview, they have, um, well, it took us 50 years to get rid of abortion and it's not even gone um, necessarily. It's it's just now up to the states. It took us 50 years to get to that. And the Christian conservative supposedly made up over 70 percent of the American populace, according to polls in the in the past and has been 70 percent or higher. in you know, in recent years, it's it's dwindling over time. But all that to say uh, that that's why I rail against, you know, that group specifically is. That's the biggest group. You should have the greatest voice and you should have the you should be affecting the most change in the country. And yet you're not because you're complacent, because you're doing nothing. You don't want to look at you being the solution. Well, one thing that Alan Watt would say, and I just mentioned this in uh, Tomorrow's Real History. I actually read a little passage in one of his books, but he called them in the book Christian conservatives. It's a fatalistic view because, you know, you're just going to ascend to heaven in a chariot and and that's that. So all you have to do is, you know, uh, label yourself such and then sit tight and wait for that to happen. And I think part of the reason why people can be complacent, particularly in the Christian world, is because the narrative has always been tightly controlled. What you can and cannot say about a topic in abortion, you made me think I was a um, I was riding in the car, I was actually driving my auntie who's in her 90s and her friend who's in her 80s somewhere. And they brought up something about abortion and it was good what happened and and so forth and so on. And I said, well, I, I don't know how I got onto this extremely graphic description of an abortion, but it, it was, they led the way. <laughs> it wasn't me. I said, they put forceps up. They crushed the skull of the infant and they're, they were horrified listening to me. And, and they said, what? And I said, well, they have to crush the skull because even at that, if it's say three months, the baby, the fetus, the infant has to be removed and it can't come out because that would be like having a delivery, right? You'd be delivering that baby. The abortion industry would, you know, grind to a halt. It has got to be quick and efficient. They crush the skull, basically butcher the infant, and then they hose it out of the woman. Now, I'm sorry, but my aunt and her friend were kind of horrified, but they were actually glad to hear that because in all of their lifetime, and and they were adults in their 30s, 40s, whatever, at the beginning of legalized abortion in this country, the U.S., 
They never knew that. They didn't know that because we're not allowed to say what is. And I think that all of these women, you know, it's my body, my choice, my right, whatever. If they actually knew what they were doing, they wouldn't do that to a kitten or a puppy. I also think that you look at a lot of these um but biological females, I'll just put it that way, that are out in front of these uh, these protests for these uh, and these abortion rallies or, or whatever they are. And I mean, that to me just looks like a mob for hire. And, you know, I'm not trying to be condescending here, but um, between us, I'm telling you right now, there's not enough alcohol in the world <laughs> that would get me anywhere near any of these. And so I have to ask, you know, who who's actually who's getting near that? <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're, I know you're, you're containing yourself, but I mean, let, let's be honest here. If you look at the the people that are out there, like that's why I say it's a mob for hire, because the first thing that comes to mind is hygiene is an opportunity here. <laughs> I'm sorry, Johnny, you're making me laugh because but tell me I've, I'm had wrong. This, I've had this. No, I've had the same thought when I'm looking at these at the video or the images. I'm thinking on, on what planet does someone want to be with you? that you would have an opportunity for an unwanted pregnancy. I mean, let's just start there on what planet? Not this one. That's for <sighs> sure. Uh, that's actually something we've kind of talked about before is uh, these women that are fighting for this. They're, they're, I'll flip it around real quick and, and look at it from the other direction. Women are running into the issue on the left, the ones that are pushing for the abortions that are pushing for. And some of these, the, the, the crazy loons, the, the ones that are out there screaming and barking, literally, I, the the point still stands that it, hygiene is an opportunity here. But some of the ones that are not the raving loons, but are still supporting abortion that are more attractive, they're finding that the the men that they want are the 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 men that are the conservatives, the ones that are you know opening the door for you. They're the kind, they're uh, assertive at the same time. You know the the what we consider uh, now toxic masculinity. The masculinity that's what they're looking for. So all the stuff that they're pushing for when it, their agendas, they're realizing now that it's backfired and it's actually detrimental to not only what they want, but also to society as a whole. So I honestly, abortion has always baffled me uh, because when you look at it from a strictly like evolutionary perspective and you remove any of the religious or any of the worldview stuff and you just look at it from an evolutionary standpoint, would you not care more about your own species surviving than like a kitten, as you mentioned, or a puppy or something like that? Wouldn't you wouldn't that be more important to you? That our species survives and has the greatest opportunity to continue evolving, uh, but instead these people have gone against the the very basic nature of nature, uh, very basic primal instincts of nature, and are I don't I don't even know like pissing in the face of it. I I, I just it, it's just so absurd. Well, look. I, I think we've all been contaminated. We've all had a number done on us. And I, I think uh, I, I like that part, that little passage is the, the second half of the verse that says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. When you realize that you have fallen for some part of the agenda or many parts of the agenda, that you've been the willing fool, that you've gone along, that you've made that... W- some of these bad choices that have contributed to the state of things, 
that's where you have to take responsibility and say, you know, I did that. You can't blame your choices if you got into drugs or alcohol on, well, it's promoted. It's promoted in the movies and, uh, you know, abortion is promoted. Well, you reach a point, uh, you know, I, I mean, I've spoken to people who uh, I'm not sure that I want to go there, but I've, I've, I've heard the Hollywood women who say, coming out to speak in favor. And if you're speaking of attractive women who are promoting this, they say, well, I wouldn't have had the career that I had now if I hadn't had that first or second abortion, whatever. And now they're happily married and they have a couple of children. And I think to myself, how do you, I mean, what is wrong with you that you're coming out and publicly speaking about that? Because when your children grow up, are they going to go, well, thanks, mom. I'm glad you didn't kill me. You know, I'm glad I didn't get in the way of your career. But, you know, I mean, um, people are damaged and their damage actually overrides nature. It overrides self-preservation. Yes, I, I think it goes to the, uh, the, the larger agenda of the whole depopulation thing. And that is we're not meant to embrace what we're supposed to do. We're not following the natural order of things. You know, everything's been perverted. Everything's been turned on its head. You know, we were talking about the um, the influencers. That That's what you let off with, the, you know, the, the controlled opposition. And I was actually telling this to Bruce the other night. I said, you know what? I said, we're actually glorifying prostitutes. That's what we're doing these days. If you look at these online communities, these people make thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, in some cases, millions of dollars in sponsorships, in publicity and everything else. And that is elevated. That's glorified in society. Mm -hmm. It's not having a family. It's not purchasing a home. It's not building a life. Any of that. It's just... Hey, look at this depravity. This is what's elevated. This is what you're supposed to look up to in society. The stupidity becomes the norm. And I think it's the same with this. It's glorified in the mainstream, in the agendas, when instead it should be the opposite of what we're actually told that it should be. It should be shamed. It should mm -hmm. be disencouraged. You know, we should be going the opposite direction. And, and as Bruce said, to his point about it took us 50 years to finally get the, which never should have been done in the first place because it was done under false pretenses, looking at the case now, uh, the Roe Ro versus Wade. If you if you look at that, that was done under false pretenses. So we shouldn't have the federal government making choices on abortion. It should be a state issue. Finally got worked back to the states. So what do we do now? Do we continue at the state level? Do we encourage it in, in certain states and we discourage it in certain states? Because I, th I think that's where they're going to go with it now. It's going to cause more division and it's going to cause more depravity. I, I liken it to, I guess, a, a race to the bottom. And when I say a race to the bottom, I'm talking about in comparison to other countries. If you look at places like China and Russia, their abortion numbers, and of course, due to the one child policy that they had in China, if you look at the abortion numbers in Russia and China, their numbers are higher per capita than any Western nation. But we never hear about that. The problem is, is that we're now to the point, and if you include and lump in all this transgender madness with all of that, because that's depopulation too, that's encouraged, that's promoted everywhere as a as a wonderful glorious thing and you're a hateful racist bigot misogynist if you don't like it it's now to the point where we are undermining our our natural order and our core values and our family values and our our morals in society we're undermining that so fast in the west that we're on track to surpass 
what's happening in some of these other countries like Russia and China. Well, it's interesting that you bring up Russia and China because these are two communist countries. I mean, Russia's supposed that, you know, we OK, they've moved past that. Right. But um, we're now talking about where the agenda is taking us, which is international communism. And in the Soviet Union, birth control was abortion. So women used abortions as birth control. They got pregnant. They had an abortion. I have read of women having seven, eight, nine abortions over the course of their life because it was used as birth control. And what you're talking about is a godless, where a godless culture by design. There is no room for religion. This was one of the pillars that had to be knocked down. Alan Watt was famous for quoting, I, I think it was, Ju I'm pretty sure it was Julian Huxley of UNESCO saying that man had to be knocked off of his pedestal. And we are well and truly there. And when you're talking about the degradation being celebrated or promoting prostitution, I get excited. I put up a video of Alan's. I get excited. It gets a, a you know a couple hundred, maybe five hundred views. I'm like, oh great, you know, people are coming in. And the I look at someone who has done a selfie of their backside. Some woman puts it up on YouTube and, you know, it, it's got millions and millions of views. And I, I, it's just so sad. It's beyond belief, really. It is. And and as I said, they get elevated. They get to mm -hmm. be put out on, on all the suggestions, all the recommended feeds and, and things like that. And, and people, they follow this stuff. And I, I think to myself... You know, we're like when we started podcasting again, I'm not trying to be condescending. I'm just I'm just looking at it based on the discussion and, and looking at it through the lens of, of what we're talking about here. And I remember I, I told Bruce and I told GP in the very beginning, I said, you know what? I said, I think we're doing this wrong. And they said, what do you mean? And I said, if you look at what's out there, it seems to me and again, I could be wrong, but based on where we are, I don't see how I could be. It seems to me that the more stupid that you behave, the more popular you become. Mm -hmm. Everything's backwards. If you ask somebody on the street just an average question that they should know, they don't know. I actually heard a video today. Somebody was watching it on their on their phone as I was just walking by, and and it was the Miss Teen USA or or something like that, right? This like the winner, right? It wasn't a contestant; it was the winner. She was going on and on about just gibberish, just nonsensical things like, um, "We really need to do something about the education in the Iraq." And we need to fix um, our learning things here in, in this country. And this is the winner. This is the win This is her victory speech. And I'm like, that right there is the problem. This is elevated. We're elevating the most stupid people in society. And if anybody actually knows something, you're caught out. You're not allowed to be within within that. So if you if you actually speak and you speak the truth, if you speak I guess, real change that actually goes against the facade that's put out there, then you're blacklisted, you're blackballed. And that's Absolutely. that's what it is. I've read stories, many stories here recently, even of uh, writers that don't get their work published. They don't get it published because they actually talk. You know, they actually they have to go to their own independent publishers because none of the major publishing companies will even touch them. It goes further than that. 
a lot of the research that we're delving into, none of this stuff, I mean, we're, we're, running in, we're running into another problem now. And the other problem, and we kind of very lightly touched on this uh, earlier in the week, you can't get to any of these pieces of research, any of this literature that we need to get to. And the problem is, is because when we get down a certain road and we're like, okay, we need to look into this subject. We need to, we need to delve deeper into that. And we need to review it. We need to, to examine all aspects of it. And then we need to figure out how we're going to present it to people. And we realize that this particular information is not even publicly available. It's locked behind academia. You have to go to the gatekeepers. You have to, to get behind that wall because that's where all the, quote, experts are that know better than you do. Mm -hmm. And so if you want any of this information, any of these these um, reports or manuscripts or anything, that's where you have to go. You can't get them as the average person. How is that any different than the early days of coming out of the Dark Ages in the UK where they didn't give the average person, you know, the average peasant, they didn't give them access to libraries because the upper classes thought, well, no, we can't do that because then people learn how to read and we can't rule over them. This is what we're dealing with in the modern era with controlled opposition and influencers because nobody wants to read anymore. That's right. They don't. And they don't even want to watch a long video. They don't want to listen to a longer audio. They want everything given to them in shortest form possible. It, you know, the tweet, a, a two minute video, and, and then the ego kicks in and they can say, aha, if somebody can say in two minutes, it's them, it, this is the pro, you know, and then they can go and parrot that. They can retain that two minutes. It, that This is Orwell's two minutes of hate that just crossed my mind, but that's what we have. That's where we are. So with the videos that the gatekeepers and the videos that are allowed to be on YouTube or whatever platform and uh, truth, people that are actually speaking the truth are not allowed on or, you know, they are censored or whatever. There's a video that comes to mind. Uh, you, you were talking about the uh, the um, strike that you had. Uh, one of the things that came to mind was there was a video uh, it has since been age restricted, but at the time it was not age restricted. And apologies for this, but this is the name. This was the name of the video, uh, Dick or Dildo. And it was quite literally uh, two gay guys. They had a sheet up. One gay guy was uh, uh, naked from the waist down uh, under the sheet. And the other guy was uh, prodding his anus. And he this, had to guess whether it was a um, dildo or the real thing. This was an actual this was, video. This was a YouTube video. Yeah. It was not age restricted. Uh, that was allowed to exist at the same time. Conservative talking points or or just people talking truth. This this was during COVID, I believe. If you spoke truth about COVID, which is now proven to be fact now, by the way, um, some of the th things that were uh, being taught, you, you were you were banned from from YouTube or the, the various uh, medias out there. But this video was allowed to exist at the same exact time. Um, there's other videos on YouTube that are not age restricted, that are of a certain type, uh, specifically you're an approved group uh, that is either fomenting violence or is um, just debauchery. But at the same time, if you're trying to talk truth, um, you get censored. Mm -hmm. And this is the thing too, people will say, well, are you surprised? Are you shocked that this happened to you on YouTube? Well, no, I'm not. What really shocked me was that they put the video back up. Well, how? Well, why are you there? Well, I'll, I'll tell you why. Is because 
my two forays really was a bit shoot channel and a YouTube channel. And it looks like from what's about to go out of my mouth that I can't put this up on BitChute either. But what you've got are ghettos. You've got ghettos. And I, like I said, I just want Alan's work up there and out there. And people have come into the channel on YouTube. And I, so I try to keep it safe because that's all it you know, that's all it is it's like you plant a little seed in somebody's eye mind and they they run with it they say oh okay there's a bigger agenda here it's not just left versus right or us versus them or black versus white it's this but you get ghettos where you have authorized hate where it's okay to talk all day long about the zionists why is that okay do you see what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Who is authorizing this? But somebody is. So they go, oh, well, we've got free speech. Well, well, why do you think that you have free speech in your ghetto? Because it's okay for you to hate? It's okay for you to uh, spout your racist, anti-Zionist diatribe all day long, and that's free speech? No, this is your authorized ghetto. So yeah, I, you know, I mean, it's a delicate balance that we but that we walk here. I, I was thinking of ghetto again and recording the the real history that I'm going to put up tomorrow because it, we were discussing how do you communicate ideas in such an as my guest was saying atomized world where Big Brother just talks to you and one thing. To be sure is that those of us who are trying to speak the truth in some way, shape or form, we just can't be heard. It's as simple as that. We cannot be heard. Yeah, I agree. I've looked at several different uh, ways of approaching certain subjects. Okay. And it, it's like this, the things that we look into, you know, just as well, uh, but the things that we look into sometimes are very complex and we do our best to try and and get them to a point where we can talk kind of sometimes about things, but we can't. And it's not it's not a matter of um, it's not a matter of a really self-censorship. I don't think that's the right word, but it's putting it in context where people will understand it. I still suffer with this problem and we still suffer with this problem here where I agree with you that we can't say certain things. I mean, we do have terms of service that we have to abide by as well. And then you've got people that are allowed to say certain things, and then other people, such as ourselves, are not allowed to say certain things, or we get flagged or, or whatever. But I'm running into another problem. When we can talk about things, and we do have an audience with something on a specific subject, the problem that we run into, and maybe you run into this problem too, as much as we try to simplify it most of the time, people still don't have a clue what we're talking about. And this is another problem within all of this, is I, maybe, maybe we're being too complex for people. Maybe the in-depth paths that we pursue in certain subjects are too difficult for people to articulate. And so maybe they gravitate towards these these controlled people easier because they dumb it down and, and they just kind of spin them around in circles and, and give them a lot of nice ear tickling. Maybe it's because we're we're realists. We we don't live in in fantasy land and we don't do what big corporate dollars tell us to do. I, I don't know. I'm just I'm kind of just throwing some things out there, seeing seeing what you think. Well, what went through my mind is, you know, my goodness, but didn't George Orwell have a really clear picture when he wrote 1984 of where this was going? Because he not only has 
the the family and any kind of tribe gone and Big Brother is just talking down to you. You've got two plus two can equal anything that it that you want it to equal and and therefore you aren't just because you were born uh, with one gender doesn't mean that you have to stick with it. This is a two plus two equals five or twenty five or whatever. Uh, or, or as Bertrand Russell said, with the right kind of education, we can make children think that snow is black, and that's where we are. But, but what you what you're talking about is linguistic minimalism, where the dictionary gets thinner and thinner, and. Orwell's idea was that people would no longer even have access to the language needed to revolt. And when you've got people who don't want to read, won't read, want things given to them like baby food, that's where you are. You are in the de facto slim volume dictionary of, you know, plus good, just the simplest words possible because we're not supposed to be able to think because thinking might lead to questioning, might lead to revolt, et cetera, et cetera. And we're very, I think it's obvious that we're there now. But again, I, I bring it back to personal responsibility. I've got, I always have to take it back to personal responsibility because it's the ego that kicks in that doesn't want to admit. Was it Mark Twain who said it is easier to fool someone than to show someone that they have been fooled. And that is where we are on a universal global level where the ego cannot sit with the shame that we have been dumbed down. It cannot sit with the shame that we have been degraded and contaminated. Therefore, it won't look at it. And the very the only way that one can learn is if you have the humility to say, I'm stupid. (laughs) I'm just... I'm ignorant. <laughs> I am that kind of person, though, because if I if I'm somebody that doesn't know something, then I will say I don't know. I'm, I'm that person. <laughs> and to that point, it is crazy how you see some of these man on the street interviews that they do. People will be asked the most simple question that they should know the answer to, and they don't know it. And it's obvious that they don't know it, but they continue to make something up and lie about it. And they look stupid <laughs> anyway. <laughs> And so if you have those those humble roots about yourself, which I mean, I was I was raised to, to be that way, I guess. I, I don't know. It was something that was just kind of like ingrained in me at a very young age to where, look, if you don't know something, then just say that you don't know and go. <laughs> and, and when you don't know and someone confronts you about it, you say, you know what? I'm going to go figure that out. I'm going to go find that out and then I'll get back to you. I'm that person. If somebody tells me about something and I don't know, I'll go look it up and I'll start doing research on it. And that's what I'll do. So I can speak on it. And so I do know. But people don't do that. They don't have like the humility is not there. And, you know, it goes Mm -hmm. it goes back to the other thing. You know, it's it's a destruction of the family. It's a destruction of of the, the natural order of things is we don't have that that proper solid upbringing, you know, that the foundations of basic morality and uh, and humility and genuine attitudes that are instilled in people because you don't have the, I I guess, the strong homes and the strong communities. You just don't have it anymore. Largely. I'm not saying it doesn't exist everywhere, but um, but we just don't have that. And you see the result of it. I mean, how many times in a week's time? I mean, I, I go through this stuff all the time. How many times in a week's time do you go through and you see these large scale brawls, you know, right? The, these these fights 
in the middle of these these cities in the schools and you know gymnasiums or or whatever or dance contests or or just something you know a ball game or whatever and it's not just the kids that do that the parents will go out there and they'll start slugging each other too mm-hmm. that'll happen on cruise ships you know th- this is a basic breakdown of the fundamental basis of a society that we're dealing with and nobody wants yeah. to address it because there's no, no humility. Absolutely. I mean, this is, see, Alan would call this a, a person who is educable, capable of being educated. If you cannot say, I don't know, or I never learned that, or wow, what a crummy education that I had. You know, if you can't start there, you are not educable. You cannot be educated because it's and and this is why he would say the more education that one has, like uh, the university, the master's degree, the Ph.D., the medical doctor, whatever. He said the less likelier they are to ever be able to come into the knowledge of true reality because they think they know it all. I mean, my gosh, they've gone to school for, uh, you know, eight years or 10 years or 12 years. So, of course, they they know more than you do. And, you know, but I, I just have to I remembered. A, did you see the story about Jeopardy, the game show Jeopardy this week? I did not. I've not heard anything about the game show since uh, what's his name? Uh, since Alex Trebek died. Yeah. Well, um, there I guess it was last week on the game show. There was a, a Bible question about the Lord's Prayer, and none of the three contestants could fill in the blank. The line in the Lord's Prayer was, blank be thy name. None of the three contestants could answer what the blank was. Hallowed be thy name. They couldn't say that? No. Oh my goodness. <laughs> these, like, these, <laughs> these are supposed to be the smart people on that show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but not the religious people, right? Or the people who had any kind of wow. religious upbringing whatsoever. Wow. All right, Bruce, that Mr. Show... Mr. House Theologian, go ahead. Unload with <laughs> well, both barrels. So I'm, I'm actually not going to the theological route because uh, Jeopardy has always been one of the ones that that show, I enjoy it when I watched it when I was younger, but it always frustrated me because these are the intelligent people that they're parading out there. No, those are the people with a good memory. That's all. Yes, you're, you're right. They're, you're right. They're Bruce. not intelligent yeah. necessarily. Just yeah. because you have inf- information doesn't mean you know how to properly use that information. That is where the intelligence comes in. That's where the wisdom comes in. So it, it, it's always frustrated me with that show. Is it, it's been presented as well? These are the most intelligent among us, or you know, potentially the most intelligent among, or prove yourself to be intelligent. When no, that's not the case at all. You just have facts. You just have information. Prove to me that you're actually intelligent by using it and knowing when to use it. That's a good point. And that's something else that it kind of makes me, when you were talking about that, it makes me um, makes me think. I look at these so-called uh, elitists, you know, that we have, the people that sit on the, uh, the stages down there at the World Economic Forum. You know, we claim that these people are somehow very intelligent and they're smarter than everybody else. They really aren't. They, they really are not. Mm-hmm. Like the, a majority of these people, they just do what they're told. And I don't think that comes into focus for a lot of people because we're too wrapped up in just the overall agendas to be able to be paying attention to that. And that is these people that are in the Fortune 500s, they don't 
really know much outside of the little bubbles that they exist in. And by that, I mean, they can go into a board meeting and they can talk and they can give a presentation about whatever subject is on the agenda that's been passed to them and pre-prepared by all of their admins and their assistants. When you actually ask them a real question about something, they don't have an answer. And it's not that they don't have time to talk to you because they're the ones usually making time to make small talk or whatever. They don't actually know anything. And mm -hmm. I, I know that we kind of we were talking last week about some of the research that we're, we're kind of doing here behind the scenes. We were talking about uh, the setting up of like terrorist cells and, and how these different totalitarian governments, if you want to call them that, and organized criminal groups actually set these things up. You made mention of the CIA and I just I said they're not smart enough to be able to pull this kind of stuff off. <laughs> And you laughed. And I said, no, they're really not. They're, they're, they're really not. And if you if you look at the, the degree and the scale, like the, in the scope and everything and, and all of the intricacies that went into creating this entire network over multiple countries in multiple years and, and things like that, they don't have the ability to to extrapolate out that far. Maybe some analysts do, but they're not people that actually put words to action. That's not what they do. Our systems don't work like that. We're doing a lot of research here into the uh, collapse. I'm doing the air quotes collapse of the Soviet Union. And a lot of people don't understand that. Why do we say that that was a contrived deal? Why, why do we say that that was a staged event? Well, it's very simple. The system that they have gives them the ability to be flexible, as in they will make those sacrifices. Our people don't do that here in the West. We don't have the ability within our institutions. I mean, we have the ability, but the average politician, the average analyst, the average whoever, the aide, the congressman, the senator, whatever, all their staff, they don't think like that. They haven't been programmed in the institutions to think long term. They're thinking about their next job. That's all they're thinking about. They're thinking four years, six years, 10, not even 10 years, because that's not what our election cycles are. We're thinking two years, four years, and six years, right? Congressman, president, senators, right? So two, four, and six. That's all they're thinking about. That's all their aides are thinking about, all their staffers. If that person doesn't get reelected, well, then they need to start looking elsewhere in some other department for another job. And that's it. And so nothing changes. When we look at agendas that are set in stone to be long-term, to bring us down. The systems that are putting those in place, they can be flexible. Our people can't. We're not thinking like that. We're not making the, the adjustments that need to be made. We used to actually have something in, in the United States called a conservative. What the hell are we conserving? In Europe, you call yourselves conservatives. What are you conserving? Any politician or any political party out there that calls yourself a conservative, what are you conserving? We're not conserving anything. We're not making any attempt to do so. So again, larger problem. <laughs> Well, I think um, I, I think that what they're conserving, what they are doing is using language that we have been programmed to understand. We can understand liberal, the word liberal and the word conservative. And so what they're conserving for us is an image of a way of life. OK, we want that. We want, you know, a conservative wants lower taxes, family values, whatever. So that's what that word means. But other than that, it's nothing because there's nothing behind it. Now, where I would I'm not sure that the word that I would use is disagree, but where I would disagree, for lack of a better word with you, is that at the that I I don't think the U.S. 
with all of their pawns or proxies in politics is any different than, say, the former Soviet Union, Russia, and the Eastern Bloc countries, is that there is a there there is a group above this. There is a supra government, and there always has been a supra government. This is the thing when you're reading the Royal Institute of International Affairs minutes book that was published from their meeting that they had in Australia in 1937. You are you're able to piece together from that document that all that time ago they were setting up China to be a manufacturing base, to, to, to play the role that it is now playing. So this is your supra-governmental body. And I think for the most part, yeah, you're looking at idiots and opportunists and narcissists or psychopaths in government who are just looking out for their next opportunity. But enmeshed in all of that, you have long, in the U.S., you have long family lineages, and they are as corrupt as the day is long on the longest day of the year. And I, I mean, a, a, a for instance, as I started to do a, a series, a writing series on Hollywood politics and uh, predictive programming, and I did the second installment last week, and I was focused on the Motion Picture Association of America. It's now called the Motion Picture Association. And it's only had six CEOs since it was formed in 1922, 101 years ago. And they were what I was just gobsmacked to learn was how politically connected they all were. Well, that makes sense for, you know, a, a lobbying group that they be politically connected. But the last three CEOs, including the current CEO, who is Charles Rifkin, the three ago CEO was Dan Glickman. The one just following him was Chris Dodd, who I'm talking about are govern high level government appointees and senators. Rifkin's father was an ambassador. Glickman ran the Department of Agriculture. He was the uh, Secretary of Agriculture under Bill Clinton. This was the time when they were pushing through GMO foods. Chris Dodd's father was at the he he facilitated at the Nuremberg trials. His brother is an ambassador. What, what I'm describing here is enmeshed in our political system are a completely bribable uh, and and let me not, let me say I'm not calling those three out and calling them corrupted and bribable. I do, I don't want to be defaming those three gentlemen here. But I am talking about a group in Congress and in the Senate who are lifers whose fathers were there, whose brothers were there, whose uncles were there. How do you get to be elected eight or nine times to the Senate? Hmm? How does that happen? Um, they just love you that much. They just love well, you that much. If I had to guess, and I'm just again, I'm just guessing. I'm not disagreeing with you. I I know that we have these families in in the U.S. I mean, hell, my God, look at the Kennedys, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, they've been in there for how long? And you've got RFK Jr. running for president now. So I mean, that's just one example. The Rockefellers, they're still around. Um, so mm -hmm. yeah, of course, absolutely. Uh, and these families themselves, they've had agendas for many generations, and it, it, it's decided that you're going to go in to do this particular job. You're going to be a politician. You're going to be a a banking head, you're going to be a finance head, whatever. Uh, you know, Soros is is doing his, the thing now. He's passed off uh, to his son. So yeah, we've we've had these groups for a long time, and I don't see any of that changing. 
yeah, they are they are heavily corruptible. Absolutely. But to answer your question, how do you get elected to be a senator eight, nine times? Well, if you don't have any voting audits, it's pretty simple, isn't it? Mm hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. my guess when it comes to a lot of these guys like Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham and, you know, the John McCain's and the rest of them. I think to myself, who in the world? I mean, if you if you go down to the and, and you start asking people that are in their own constituency, nobody seems to support them. If you look at their, right. if you drive through their constituency and their, their districts where they have uh, campaigns going on for their election, nobody has any signs up for them except for the campaign headquarters. So how are they getting elected over and over and over again? That's the only thing that we can surmise it. And when somebody brings up the uh, the concept of, well, you know, maybe we should audit this election just to make sure that everything was on the up and up. Mm -hmm. And they'll say, oh, no, no, why would you want to do that? So I, I don't think, and I've made this argument for a long time now, I don't think a lot of these people that are in these elected positions that have been in there that are lifers, I don't think a lot of them are even supposed to be there. Did you see that documentary, 2000 Mules? I did not, but Dinesh D'Souza, he, he does some really great stuff. I, I did not see that. And quite frankly, everything that we had looked at from the start of what happened on election night till even now, we've looked at hours upon hours upon hours of security footage and uh -huh. reports and audits and paper trails and, and actual things that have been presented for, as in like court documents, affidavits. I don't need to see the movie. I yeah. don't need to see it. Yeah. With all due respect, that's for somebody that doesn't have time to look at all that other stuff that I just mentioned. Right. Yeah. So, and he did a great uh, you're, job. You're right. He did a great job of coll of collating it. But yeah, if you if you know what you're looking at, uh, you know we we don't have fair and free elections here. That's a starter. And I agree with you that I'm just going to get off on the CIA here for a second. Yeah. At the lower level, you've got the people who the agents on in both. In both the Soviet Union and the U.S. who think that they're fighting a real thing. Whereas if you read a very excellent book uh, by Frances Stoner Saunders, I believe is her name, CIA and the Cultural Cold War, she used freedom of information to get some incredible documents. And she shows CIA agents, high level ones, of course, but showing up to have lunch with David Rockefeller and he's asking them how their project is going. And they say, oh, well, it's going OK, but we can't get the allocations, the budget, blah, blah, blah. So he just gets his checkbook out and says, well, what do you need? This happened time and time again. So, again, I'm talking about the supranational body that kind of pulls the strings on, you know, the political theater that we all watch. I'm not so sure that we didn't have state capture here in this country a couple of generations ago. That's oh, yeah. that's what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I get it. I believe that there are several factors in play here. You know, there, there's a lot that, that go on that we see, and then there's a lot of things that go on that we don't see. And and it's it's incumbent upon us to figure out what that is. It's our job to figure that out and to pick through all this stuff. And But I think I, I think that what you and Bruce are doing in picking through these books and showing, you know, the air quotes on the end of the Soviet Union is excellent work because they said themselves, you're you know, you're shortly going to hear that this is over. But it isn't over. We're just morphing into our next iteration, our next thing. 
Yeah, and that's that's what it is. And it will come down to at some point uh, in the very near future because the mask has been ripped off now. And and we're trying to figure out um, we had a we had a pretty good theory last night. We had a working theory on what these money transfers are all about from the US and the EU to Ukraine. Not the arms transfers, I'm talking about the cash, as in yes. like the actual cash. We have a pretty good idea of what that might be, but we need to do some more looking into it. But the line that we're looking into, it kind of makes sense as to what's going on. There's a whole lot of blackmail that's going on here, (laughs) and they don't want a lot of that blackmail coming out. So if you have the ability to pay, then they will keep their mouth shut for a time until you can no longer pay. So we're pretty sure that that's what's going on, at least with the cash transfers. Again, we're not Mm -hmm. talking about the arms transfers or anything like that. The whole concept of everything is as far as compromising people, it was done in several different ways, one of which was the famous Jeffrey Epstein guy, right? That was a that was an international uh, honey trap, if you will. That's how they compromise people in certain areas of business, banking and politics. And so I guess there's a um, there's a war that's taking place for where we're going to be on the other side. And you've got several different factions within that. So you've got our people here and then you've got people that are in other places, namely China and Russia, that have their own agendas. It's going to come down to which one are we going to be stuck with. And so people are going to have to make the decision and we're going to have to figure this out on our own because they're certainly not going to tell us. Yes. Barring that, we are getting close to time. Do you have any final final thoughts that you'd like to uh, convey to the listener before you get away for the next two weeks? Do you want to talk to us about uh, what you've got going on in the website? and what your latest podcast was about. Well, on the website, like I said, I am thinking about other ways to bring Alan's work to the attention of as many people as I can. I think our window, our so-called internet window is is closing. And so shoot, I I might even tweet I don't know. Oh goodness, no, not tweet. <laughs> not, no. not me. Not. A, <laughs> I don't know. I'm. I'm just trying to think of how I can, uh, to the best of my ability, use some of the platforms that are out there because, it, like I said, I think it's a short window. The real history that I am putting up tomorrow is with Darren in South Africa, and this is actually going to be the third episode that that I've done with Darren. This is episode number twenty and number three with him. And specifically, we got into some hard territory. He wanted to cover, and I did too, the farm murders that are happening in South Africa. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. We talked a little bit about that. We tied it into the bigger picture, the World Economic Forum, and the fact that uh, there's a war on food. So there most certainly is. And South Africa is one of those targets. Yeah, I did hear about the uh, uh, the farming murders in South Africa a couple of years ago when that was starting to make international headlines. But uh, it just kind of disappeared. But they didn't stop. I'm sure that they didn't stop. No, uh, that's, they've that's they've actually picked. It's it's terrible. It's horrible. And and he and I both agreed that the nature of these crimes is so horrific. It's so beyond the pale that we actually didn't talk about the specifics because it, 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 they usually involve a high degree of torture and, and butchery. And I, I just, you know, leave that to yeah. one's imagination. But yeah. he wanted to bring, you know, as much as possible, he wanted to bring attention to people in other parts of the world that, yes, this is still going on there and it's bad. 
It most certainly is, and it does need to be brought to the uh, the attention of people, absolutely. So I guess that's going to do it for us today. Again, I'd, I'd like to thank you for being here today, Melissa. We'll see you again in two weeks, yes? Yes, thank you so much for having me on this uh, regular basis. I appreciate it. Oh, it's our pleasure, and we look forward to having you back again. That is Melissa from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. I encourage all of our listeners to get over there and take a look at the treasure trove of information that they have, where they maintain the collected works of the late, great Alan Watt. Again, that is CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, and her podcast is real history with melissa i'd like to thank you both for being here today thank you to all the listeners god bless everyone and have a great evening